Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we pray that your mercy would come upon us, that we might indeed live, that we would find delight in your law and your word. Let those insolent be put to shame because they have wronged your, your anointed with falsehood. But let us, Lord, your godly people, meditate on your word and your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to you. Let they know, let us know and meditate and let the word dwell in us richly. Let our hearts be blameless before you, that we may not be put to shame. Lord, we pray all these things through Jesus Christ and his name alone. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Psalm 93. This is God's holy and errant infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord is on high, is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you just stood in bewilderment or wonder? You you stood and you saw what was before your eyes and you, you trying to take this moment in. Maybe the, 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 the pinnacle of a hike where you're, you're walking up and you, you finally reach the pinnacle. And, and from this grand place you can look over and see all of creation or as far as your eye can see. And you just sit there and are amazed. Maybe you see down in the valley the, the little hill or town that man has made. But it is pales insignificance in comparison to what you see. This happens when we drive back to Greensboro and we go through Fancy Gap. And as you're driving over the mountains, there's this, there's this window frame that you can almost see as you turn. I can't do it very often because I'm driving. But as you turn and you look and you look down the valley and you can see all these mountains and they, they look like tiny little hills. You see and you stand in wonder, or maybe you've done this as you've seen the sun rise or the sun set on the beach or on a mountain. Children do this often. They, they see things for the first time and their eyes are enlarged. And they stand amazed at what is before them. Although it might be a simple thing, a thing that you've seen many a time. They look at the moon and see how bright it is and their eyes have gone much wider. Now this happens very frequently in our house, not just to the children, but also to myself. 
Earlier this year, the kids brought home this small little leaf, and on one of these leaves was a, a tiny little caterpillar that they needed to point out to me. And on the other one of the leaves, there wasn't even a caterpillar. It was a tiny little uh, egg. Now the kids then learned about these caterpillars, these monarch caterpillars, learned about their migration process, and they would rattle off all these facts that some of them they misunderstood, others they were quite accurate in what they did. But what we saw was these tiny little eggs, which were no smaller than the, the dot of a sharpie pointed on a bit of paper. And they would start to hatch, and then they would start to grow, and then they would start to eat. And as they started to eat, they would grow even more. And then after eating for days on end, they would form themselves a chrysalis. And as this chrysalis would merely just sit there, it underwent something of this metamorphosis, this drastic change, and from this chrysalis would emerge... Uh, you would start to be able to see the butterfly through the chrysalis, the stripes of its wings, the color, and eventually this butterfly emerges. And depending on where the butterfly is born, and depends on where it is, it would either migrate to uh, Canada or fly south to Florida or Mexico. Now in our house, monarchs were the talk of for weeks. Their amazement of the genetics And we didn't even have to teach anything. It was all just before the kids' eyes. Now, this is an insect that we stood in in wonder and amazement as we looked at what had happened. And all of us were like, wow. This tiny little egg, just over a millimeter big, and what it could do and what is ingrained in its DNA. How much more would we stand in amazement as we think and consider the creator of this one little caterpillar. And Psalm 93, you might say, is one of these wow psalms. Some psalms are like this. I think you see all of the psalms should drive us to worship and adoration. Sometimes they drive us to to see God as the comforter who is beside us as he leads us by still waters. Others gaze towards our inward sin and how Christ is the redeemer of that sin. But yet this psalm shifts our gaze up to the heavens, shifts our gaze to the amazement of the one who makes the monarch caterpillar. And like a small child looking up at a tree as they continue to look up and up as the tree gets taller and taller and they fall almost flat on their back, Psalm 93 teaches us about God and all of his wonder and glory, his sovereignty and his power. And it begins with a simple statement that really sums up the whole psalm. The Lord reigns. Yahweh reigns. God rules. God is king. This is the whole psalm in a few words. What is Psalm 93 about? That is it. The Lord Yahweh reigns. The rest of the psalm merely unpacks this statement that God reigns. Why does he reign? Actually, Psalm 93 to 100 have actually been called the enthronement psalms. Psalms which drive us to see how God reigns over all of his creation. And Psalm 93 is merely just an introduction to this. 
Now, before we move any further, why does this matter? Philosophically, we know this to be true. God is sovereign, yada, yada, yada. You've heard this many times before. But when we think about merely just philosophically, we miss the point of theology. Theology is always has practical aspects to how we live our lives. That all theology, if truly taught and understand, should reach our day to day. Why do we need this psalm? We need this psalm because we know, and we need to know, that every day the Lord reigns. On the bad days, on the good days, on the wet days, on the dry days. The Lord reigns over all. And every aspect of theology should drive us to be able to understand comfort. It should bring comfort to the believer and discomfort to the unbelievers. Matthew Henry says that the root of religion is in this understanding. He says the root of religion is the fear of God reigning in the heart, a reverence for his majesty, a deference to his authority, and a dread of his wrath. You want to see what happens as the root goes and what it is is God reigning in our hearts. But where it goes, the fruit that comes from is reverence, deference to his authority, and dread of his wrath. Maybe to begin, let's ask a series of questions that might show us why we need to know why the Lord reigns and why he reigns even today. Have you ever felt like your life or an aspect of your life is out of control? Are you stuck and you find yourself in nothing you can do? Have you ever asked the question, where is God when all of this has happened to me? Have you asked the question maybe more generically, why did he allow it happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? What do I need to do to fix this? What is going to happen to me? What is going to happen to my family, to my country? Have you ever had anxiety that cripples you to thinking of these endless possibilities of disastrous things that could happen at any moment in your life? The list could go on depending on your circumstance, filled with who's, what's, or where's, or anything of a mixture of those things. Now, if you've ever asked any of these questions, if you're asking these questions tonight, then you are not alone. This question has even been asked by people who wrote Scripture. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 12. As righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them, and they take root, and they grow and produce fruit, and you are near their mouth and far from their heart. It's a great question, why? And Psalm 23 gives us an answer. The Lord reigns. To be God is, in fact, the actual answer. To be God, you have to be the one who reigns. To reign means that you are the one true living God. Stephen Charnock said, to be God and sovereign are inseparable. You cannot be a sovereign, in, unsovereign God. 
You have to be sovereign to be God. So what can we learn and find comfort from all of these questions that we have asked? How does God reign? God reigning is something God does, not who he is. But the psalmist drives to who he is to show us how he reigns. I'll say that again. God reigning is not something God, who God is. It is something that he does. But how he reigns is based on who he is. And the psalmist then turns his attention to who God is to help us understand how he reigns. The first thing that the psalmist mentions about who God is, is his majesty. The Lord reigns because he is majestic. His robe is covered, is majestic. The Hebrew word of majestic is to be on high. Translated often as as to be proud or arrogant. But God cannot be proud because being proud is a thing, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. But God is not like man. Man often thinks of himself placing himself on a pedestal he does not belong. But God is highest. God is above all. He is the one that is majestic, exalted above all creation. As you think about Isaiah chapter 6, maybe a very familiar passage to us. But it begins in the year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord lifted upon, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, how can I even explain this robe that is worn by God, this majestic robe? He is clothed with majesty, he is robed with majesty. Charles Spurgeon says that it's not with emblems of majesty, but with majesty itself. Everything which surrounds him is majestic. He is not the semblance, uh, but the reality of sovereignty. In nature, providence, and salvation, the Lord is infinite in majesty. And the Lord reigns, and as he reigns, he reigns majestic over all. The author of First Chronicles says, Yours, O kingdom, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted head over all. He reigns because he sits over all things. And for us to be able to try and understand this is like having a child with a bucket trying to collect the ocean. We could not even begin to wrap our heads around this. So when we have all these questions sitting, where is God? We shift our gaze that he is high and lifted up above all things. His majestic robe covered in majesty. The second thing the psalmist wants to draw our attention to is how the Lord reigns is in his strength. His strength. Now, even at this point, we can see that these things are never isolated. When we speak of God, we can never divide him up or remove one and ponder. Um, But we can ponder on one and see how it relates to another. 
Verse 1 says that he has put on strength on his belt. He is exalted. He is a mighty. You cannot reign without strength. A weak king is a worthless king. All-powerful and almighty. Again, another biblical author asked the question, just as Jeremiah did in Jeremiah 12. He asked the question, why do the wicked prosper? Why does it seem like everyone else is succeeding? But he ends in Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. That here... Although Habakkuk can see all that is around him, withering fruit trees, nothing to be spoken of. Yet where is the Lord and what is he doing? The Lord is my strength. He sees his strength not in the fruit on the vine, but in the God who is mighty above all. The third thing that the psalmist wants us to be able to see is that God is the creator. The psalmist moves to creation to see God reigns because he has made all things. That God's throne was established from of old. The psalmist's argument is that God reigns over all creation because he's the creator of all creation. He shows the event of creation and then being able to see that God made all things knows that he still rules all things. And he turns to a specific aspect of creation to be able to show how God is even above this aspect of creation. He turns to floods, waters, and seas. Now in math, there's a a symbol which is always greater than. And the greater than symbol always points to that is greater than what is and not the lesser than. And the psalmist quite simply is saying, God is greater than the floods. What do the floods say? The floods have lifted up their voice. O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. And what do they say? They're mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord is on high, is mighty. And you think about the power of a flood the devastation which they leave behind, and even that declares that God reigns. Again, when we think, when we think of God compared to man, we have no idea. Man cannot control the tides. We can cope with them, we try and live with them. But even in a hurricane, what do we do to be able to control the power of the water? A sailor on a boat is not controlling or telling the waters what to do, is merely adapting to be able to survive in those conditions. And especially during this time in the ancient Near East, one of the the greatest concerns and and symbols of of judgment in the uncertainty, uncertain times is that of the waters. We could build things on land, we could 
We could walk and travel across land. It might be treacherous, but the, land, the sea was unknown charted territories. The seas equaled chaos. And the psalmist points out that God is greater than the seas. God reigns over all the power of the sea, the waves and the, the water. That his throne is firmly established. The waves and the tides will forever change, but God's throne is forever established. There's no rocking movement in what God has firmly established. But in amongst this chaos and this waves of the, the psalmist speaks of, there sits God's throne above the waters, unmoving, unmoving and unshaken. The fourth thing that the psalmist points out, that God is eternal. God is eternal. That you are from everlasting. And then at the end of verse 5, that, O Lord, forevermore. You could say the power of a king is shown in the length of their reign. You are not a very powerful king if your enemy eliminates you after day two. Or even how long does a nation stay on top? You can say that you look at nations and rulers and it is all spoken of in their track record. That you only have the years which have gone before. But yet God's track record that he has always reigned. He has always reigned supreme and he has reigned since the foundations of the world. The Ottoman Empire, the Roman Empire, Persian, Babylonian, Egyptian empires have all come and gone, up and down. Superpower to no power at all. Yet who has been above every one of these kingdoms? God has reigned throughout all of this. Psalm 9 puts it this way, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. God has a perfect track record that he has not been defeated. For not only just a century and not only just a millennia, but since the beginning of all creation. Not only that he is eternal, he reigns eternally, but he is also, above all, he is most high. The psalmist repeats the same idea which we've seen before, that the Lord is on high and he is mighty. Above the roaring seas, above the chaos of the waters, that he is the most high and the most mighty, the almighty Look at creation, look at the world, look at the thrones and the kingdoms. No matter the ranking system you use, the top of every single one is the Lord that the Lord reigns. Shouldn't then this bring comfort to believers? When we start and set our gaze upon the problems, the problems become higher than us, out of our control. We feel like a little boat on a raging seas. And the problems seem to be crashing down upon us. And the psalmist says, your problems might be bigger than you. Your questions might be grander than you, stronger than you. But there is another who is highest, who is most high. The Lord, he reigns. 
When you have a problem and you go and speak, let me speak to the manager and they can only do a certain... Let me speak to your manager. Or even in in a legal court case, you go to a judge and the judge doesn't answer. You go to a, a higher judge and eventually you end up at the Supreme Court. But when you go up, there's a higher rule, but there's no higher rule than the Lord. The Lord is the most high. There is no one higher. The one who reigns supreme over all. Psalm 47 says, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, the great King over all the earth. Not only is He is high, but He is also holy. See this in verse 5. We do not have time to be able to mine this depths of this truth. Nor do I think that it is the focus of this psalm. The psalmist merely just says that holiness befits his house. We need to understand that as the Lord reigns, he reigns in all of his holiness. You forever hear, it doesn't matter who is in the Oval Office, you will always hear and always see news articles of potential corruption within their ranks and potential stories of scandal which might have been true or have happened or might be made up. We, we do not know often, but there is no such rule in God's house. There is no corruption in his administration. That as he rules in all of his perfect, complete attributes, justice is true. And here the psalmist points to his holiness in how he rules. But finally, that he is trustworthy. He is truth. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Now, you could say that there's, there's power in being able to make a promise, but that power is only seen when you fulfill that promise. I could pay, promise to pay you a million, billion dollars. It doesn't matter how much. I don't have the power to be able to do that. I don't have that money in my bank account. I don't have the ability to be able to carry that out. But here the psalmist says the Lord reigns and we know the Lord reigns because he is able to keep and does keep all of his promises. That his promises are guaranteed. If we were to list all of God's promises, it would be a great and glorious list. But I think it would take years to explain and a lifetime for us to be able to comprehend. Second Peter says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, for we know those who love the Lord, all things work together for good. And all those who are according to his promise, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here he says that we know that God has been able to make this promise, but he also predestined us to be able to be conformed to the image of his son. He continues. And you can almost see Paul as he's thinking about this psalm, as God reigns supreme, not only does he make these promises, he keeps these promises. What shall we then say of these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Whom shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through, for, through him who loved us. For I am sure neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Quite simply, Paul is saying that God reigns. But even more specifically to this, that in Luke, as Jesus is walking down after he's visited the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he then meets his disciples as he's unpacking the words, he explains where he is and he turns to the law of Moses. He turns to the prophet, he turns to the Psalms that must be fulfilled. You always wonder and ponder where he turned to in all of these aspects could have turned to Psalm 93. In Christ, even in his humiliation, coming to earth, born under law, born of a, uh, of a woman, comes with power and authority even in his weak estate. The author of Hebrews shows that Christ reigns. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name as he inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Quite simply, Christ reigns. Hebrews chapter 2, putting everything under the subject, subjectation under his feet. Now in putting everything in, under him, he left nothing outside his control at present. We do not yet see everything that is subject to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God that he might taste death for everyone. You could see that Christ reigns. The Christ is robed in majesty that strengthens around his waist. That Christ is the creator. Christ is the eternal son of God. Christ is above all. Christ is holy. Christ is trustworthy. So much so that even Jude can write at the end of Jude, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Now how can we not say, wow, 
stand in awe of God. As we shift our eyes and our gaze to the problems that surround us, up to God who sits enthroned above all things. As we sing, O worship the King all glorious above, gratefully sing His power, His love, our shield, our defender, our ancient of days, pavilioned with splendor and girded with praise. O tell of His might and sing of His grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space, his chariots of wrath, a deep thunderous form, the clouds in his path, the wings of the storm. Psalm 93 gives us great comfort to be able to know one simple thing, that God reigns. God reigns over all things. That should bring comfort to the believer and discomfort to those who stand opposed to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you indeed reign. You reign over all. Lord, we cannot stand, but as we shift our gaze to study your word, to be able to understand who you are, that we just stand in awe and adoration of who you are in all worship and praise, that Christ, even in his humblest state, is now lifted high above the angels, more superior to them, sitting seated at your right hand with all power and authority, dominion. Lord, we pray that we would find this comfort in our lives, that as we see the chaos that surrounds us like the waves of the sea, that we would see your throne throne, uh, above all, high and lifted up. Let us find comfort and refuge in you, our strength, in our, very, in our times of trouble, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.